Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast on the Beat Lives. Tuesday about 9 a.m. We started on time. Adam Smith rolled in right on time to get us started. Uh, it is Tuesday night, game week, Miami and Carolina and Miami Gardens at 4 p.m. on Saturday afternoon. I think it's on ESPN2. <coughs> we're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Adam, since you were the last in, I'm going to make you the first commenter. What's the feeling around this Keenan Fieldhouse? Is it a, is it is – it, um, is it we've turned the corner, or is it there's still some palpable uh, skepticism? I think that's a great question, Tommy. Um, because I, I'm I'm trying to figure that out myself. To be honest with you, we were asking we we, we got the players just a few hours ago, and I was asking DeAndre Boykins about the mood because you knew you the mood was very easy to pick up on last week. Uh, you know, we all we all could feel it: frustration, anger, soul searching. Um, but I'm, I, I don't know if I can answer it. I'm sorry. I, I, I asked, uh, I don't know, maybe Ross can help me. I asked someone, how do you keep your foot on the pedal since it does feel like there was something of a corner turned against Virginia Tech? Because I think that's a key for the Tar Heels. But I'm not sure exactly what the mood is. You know, that you don't want to be too pleased by beating Virginia Tech. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out more on Saturday as to what this week was like in terms of how they're feeling and how they're thinking. Ross, do you sense anything different other than, you know, maybe some folks were in a little better mood this week than, <laughs> than the first three, four games of the season? I mean, it's a lot lighter, a lot calmer, a um, lot more positive. And I think it's just – I think on defense, just a confidence builder. You know, to see things work, I think, in any line of work or any, you know, in life, just to see things – get better and progress is good for morale. You can, you kind of, it just builds confidence. And these are 18, 19, 20 year old kids are dealing with. So seeing, I w- I think what Chizik said, or maybe one of the players said, you know, to see things uh, that they worked on in practice and saw on film and then get that transition to the game and then put it to work and it be successful. I think it is the big takeaway on defensive side. I'm not completely sold on this defense yet. I think, I think two games, Miami and Duke, if they are decent, you know, and solid and, and 
you know, we're not ragging on the defense after those games. I think at that point, you're like, all right, this defense can be okay, can be kind of where they need to be, mediocre, maybe a little bit above average. Um, I think they need a little bit more sample size against better teams. I mean, look, I, I'm not sure how good Miami is on offense, and Duke may be the toughest test. Uh, I haven't watched many Blue Devils, but I'm still a little hesitant on the defense. Adam, that I listen to a ton of Miami stuff getting ready. I'm actually talking to the inside the U folks tomorrow, but wow, Miami has got uh, they got many of the same issues as Carolina has, and they are, um, you know, they they took one on the chin from Middle Tennessee State or whoever they played. Is that who it was? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I'm uh, sorry, I didn't. No disrespect to Middle you got Tennessee. It. You got it. <laughs> and Texas A&M, they didn't do anything against Texas A&M defense at, at all other than three field goals i think the offense for miami still has talent tyler van dyke was the guy we were talking about leading Ooh. into the season now he's on the hot seat i listened to his press conference he sound like a like a a replacement waiting to happen uh your thoughts on what it means to for this team to have some success this week and perhaps next against duke to maybe turn the corner Boy, this game will humble you, won't it? I mean, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, I know how we always point back to the preseason. People talking about Tyler Van Dyke is a dark horse Heisman candidate. You saw the, you know, the quarterback rankings coming into the season. This is, you know, the year of the quarterback in the ACC. Uh, Devin Leary, who's not playing that great. Tyler Van Dyke. Brennan Armstrong at UVA. I mean, they are, you know, look at the numbers. Um, these guys, the guys I just rattled off there, they're in the bottom four of all the stuff, uh, passing numbers in the ACC. Efficiency, yards, touchdown. Tyler Van Dyke's thrown four touchdown passes through four games, I believe. Um, it's not good. No, no quarterback has thrown. No starting quarterback has thrown for less yards this season than Tyler Van Dyke. Uh, now, with that said, he played pretty well in Chapel Hill last year. Uh, you know, he he'd just taken over for uh, Derek King, and um, he played pretty well. But I mean. Yeah, Ross and I were talking about it. I think Monday he, he they benched him for for part of that Middle Tennessee game. Um, they brought the the redshirt freshman Jake Garcia in. I think he's, I think Van Dyke threw for 138 yards um, two weeks ago. But Miami's had two weeks to sit on this thing. In two weeks, you would think, as Ross said the other day, to look in the mirror. Um, so we'll see. I mean, Max, Max said that Carolina was catching Miami the way they caught Notre Dame coming off an underwhelming performance and, and an angry Notre Dame team. So let me tell you why I'm producer John and not expert John or, or doctor like Dr. Staples in the preseason. I said that UNC had an advantage over Miami in many areas, but Miami had an advantage in quarterback play because I thought coming into the season that Tyler and Dyke was a much better quarterback than Drake May, and it shows how quickly things change. Um, you know, Drake May obviously has taken over uh, the ACC in terms of how well he's played at quarterback. Uh, so that's an interesting storyline, certainly, coming into this game. Um, but, yeah, a lot of different things to talk about, uh, starting with the two quarterbacks. Got Adam drinking a beer there. How about that? Get loose, Adam, on a Tuesday night drinking a beer. I'm have drinking it in my uh, Samuel Smith glass too. There you go. Hey, y'all yep. need to do. Y'all need to get this. Look at there. I got that one too. That's yeah. professional there. That's, I got a little. Uh, I got a little carrot juice. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody asked, no, "What's Ross drinking?" Carrot no, juice. I'm, I'm going no alcohol in uh, in October except for Blue Shark vodka. It's a big October for the big dog. Yeah. All right. I'll say this about 
confidence, like it translates to the quarterback too. I mean, how is Tyler Van Dyke feeling this week? He got benched and the backup came in and looked pretty good. I didn't watch the game, but from what I hear, stats wise. So like, you know, Tyler Van Dyke is going to be the starter again, but man, if he struggles first half, that's going to be another, I mean, you pull him again, that's going to shake the confidence and then it's kind of done. So that's going to be interesting dynamic to watch. Not Maybe not in this game, but maybe throughout the ACC, if Tyler Van Dyke struggles, um, because they saw what they got in the backup. And what is it, Tommy? Your favorite player is always the backup quarterback, right? <laughs> so they, they, they saw what they got out of Garcia. Um, so that's – they had two weeks to prepare. So that's another interesting kind of um, storyline there. So a, a lot of interesting dynamics down there in uh, in South Beach. And a new head coach too. I'm sure it was a, a come to Jesus two weeks for, for that program with that staff. They booed was, them, didn't they? I think they yeah. booed Miami uh, during that – I don't think there were many people there at well, Hard Rock sure it was really a, Tommy, that. that was a good job on the Dateline with Miami Gardens, Florida. So a lot of people messed that up. You did a very good job with that. Oh, I, I just know it because I went to the Orange Bowl during COVID, and uh, we I had to make sure thing. we got to the right to the right stadium. Which, let me give some advice to people going: if you are getting an Uber after the game from that stadium, it was a cluster after there were twenty thousand people at the Orange Bowl. If there's going to be more than that there you're going to be searching an uber for three or four hours so whatever you do drive or do something different or walk because ubers are non-existent down there on game nights let, let me talk about the backup quarterback and this is interesting and, and ross we can stay here and then adam you chime in everybody in miami except mario cristobal it appears wants jake garcia to be the quarterback how tough is that on a kid? You've covered these kids for a long, long time at various angles. It's one thing to get booed during a game. It's another thing where the entire fan base wants your backup to play. I mean, Van Dyke, he's under as much pressure as it gets for a college guy, right? Yeah, that's going to be so tough. And with social media, it makes it worse. You know, 20 years ago, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see that pressure from the fan base. You only see it in the game. But you wouldn't see it on Instagram, social media, message boards, so, you know, it's definitely odd. And it's crazy. He was one of the projected to be one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC. And all of a sudden, five games, you know, he's he's trying to stay away from the bench. Adam? Jake Garcia, the, the backup, was highly recruited. I mean, you know, like, if you go look at all the people who offered him, it's all the big boys. Uh, it's, you know, a who's who. Um, you know, obviously, he picked Miami under a previous regime. Uh, the Manny Diaz uh, regime. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. They 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 have said that, you know, they're, they're sticking with Van Dyke um, this week against the Tar Heels. Um, I would think it would behoove uh, Gene Shizik's guys to get after him uh, a little bit. Um, you know, the Miami running game is pretty good, but that, that passing game just has not gotten off the ground through four games so far. And, I mean – they played Bethune Cookman, Southern Miss, I believe, AM and Middle Tennessee. So I mean, it's not like they've played the SEC West. Um, but you know, I, I you know, like for a for a Carolina defense that found some confidence that uh was able to uh you know exhale and and play its most complete game that they had that they've had this season, um, you want to keep it going down there uh in South Florida. Yeah, let's let's look at some questions. A lot of questions coming in from uh, a lot of personnel Instagram. stuff. Yeah, Sorry. so I'm gonna get rid of the first one. Rhett Chapman, um, 
we've talked about that a lot. I mean, I think you, you can take away some confidence. You can take away that they actually did what they were supposed to do and they executed well. Level of competition matters. Virginia Tech's not a very good team. It is an ACC Power 5 team, so Carolina takes that away. Um, I think, like Ross said earlier and Adam said earlier, we'll find out more these next two weeks where the defense actually is. So we'll let that one float into the ether. John, producer John, bring us in on the next question you want us to get to. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting questions here. Make sure you're putting them in the, in the chat pod. This one's from Chris. What new guys popped to you in limited playing time on Saturday? In the fourth quarter, UNC got a lot of guys in. Who stood out to the experts here? Ross, take it. I think Deuce Collins. Uh, that's what I was going to say. But okay. Ross, go, go, you, ahead, go, I mean, go ahead. I got well, I mean, how about a celebration from Deuce Caldwell? <laughs> Our photographer, Jim Hawkins, has a lovely photo of him <laughs> doing whatever that's whatever he was doing. That's um, the karate kid thing, man. Well, oh, that's right. That's Thank you for reminding me. Ross and I were pecking away up there at that point, uh, sweating it out. Um, but, yeah, you're right. He did go with the uh, Danielson uh, one-leg action there. Uh, and I believe uh, – Max said uh, this week, like, you know, great job. Don't ever, he was like quoting Major League, the movie. Great job. Don't ever do it again. You know, like that, <laughs> that type of thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I will pick Deuce Caldwell because of he was able to get in. Granted, it was garbage time, make some plays. I believe he had four tackles. Um, but as we all know, um, you know, they are UNC has become super thin at linebacker. Cedric Gray and Power Eccles are playing great. They're two of the top tacklers in the ACC. Cedric Gray is one of the top tacklers in the nation, but they are putting a lot of snaps on those guys. And now you got Sebastian Cheeks out for the season. You have Ra Ra Dilworth coming off a concussion against Notre Dame. We don't know about his status. They're supposed to monitor him this week, but they're going to, they might need Deuce, as Ross noted Saturday. What they were down to three scholarship linebackers. Um, yeah. So I mean, running Jake uh, Harkle in there, Ross. Yeah, Jake Harkle wrote. Uh, yeah, so Mac Brown and Gene Chizik both spoke about Deuce and how you know it's about time he needs to kind of be available and step in. You know, five games into the season, six games into the season, so we might see him a little more. Or, or Jake Harkle wrote, who I think came in when Power Eccles' helmet came off. Um, so look for those two guys as the the, the third the third linebacker. If Ra Ra can't go, Sebastian Cheeks out for the season with upper body injury. I will say Will Hardy, um, you know, nothing crazy, but he's getting a lot of playing time on the dime package, which I hope that Adam was going to write on this week. Hopefully get that out before Thursday. Um, <laughs> but uh, Will Hardy, you. <laughs> Will Hardy, hey, you get these articles out Friday p.m. No one's reading them. Um, <laughs> Will Hardy, you know, 6'2", you know, on the dime package. He comes in, Power Eccles goes off because Will Hardy can kind of cover as a, as a nickelback safety I think he made some pretty good tackles, like under pressure, like in in real minutes. You know, second quarter, third quarter, when it mattered, um, and that's gonna be good confidence. I mean, he might be a guy that can get get some more safety reps at the end of the season and be uh, a starting safety next season. So I, I'm not sure he popped, but the fact that he maybe didn't mess up is good enough from a true freshman, Will Hardy. Yeah, I'll I thought you. Hardy Hardy did not look good at that when they put him out there. Uh, if my memory serves and at, well, of course app was taking advantage of everybody um in the fourth quarter but it, ross you're right there i thought he looked he's looked a lot better since he's he's gotten a lot better over you know limited minutes and then he played a decent amount in virginia Tech. i think they need him because i think the i think that's where the issues are in the carolina secondary i'm not so sure it's a cornerback thing i think it's a safety thing 
but anyway, John B., what you got? I'm going to kind of twist this question a little bit. I really – one one thing that stood out to me, one thing that popped to me from Saturday's game, I think it was maybe in the second quarter, but Javari Ritzy on the defensive line completely bowled over a Virginia Tech offensive lineman. And that's something we have not seen a whole lot of from UNC's defensive line. But that, to me, was a little bit of a turning point. That jumped off the page a little bit to me, that UNC's defensive lineman may be putting it together. Some of these huge athletes like like Ritzy maybe can turn the corner and start making some big-time plays. Um, I'll bring up why the next we, question. Oh, go ahead. Why don't we talk about JQ right now? Um, mm-hmm. Why don't we talk about JQ right now since we're kind of on uh, safeties and stuff? Coach Q yeah, Barbecue. Uh, yeah. Uh, Adam, you wrote the article today. Go ahead. Is Conley – is Jacoris Conley practicing? What's the deal there? Uh, yes, he is. Uh, like, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so Jacoris Conley, as we know, had suffered the, you know, major knee injury against Wofford last year at the end of the season, the regular season finale at Keenan. Um, it's been a long road back for him. ACL torn, MCL torn. Uh, obviously, you know, that's a that's a nine, tenth month recovery. And Mac uh, said on Mac Brown Live Monday night that that uh, Conley was going to return to practice today. Uh, we talked to some people around the program today, Ross, when we were over there. And, you know, yeah, he's not I, – I don't think he's in full, full contact, but he is participating in drills. Uh, he's obviously been working off on the side, uh, doing his rehab, you know, doing his work and, uh, you know uh, – I guess taking mental reps as I guess is what, you know, the injured guys like to call them, but um, he's getting back in there. I think it was Boykins. You asked Boykins today, didn't you? Is he, he's getting back in some drills, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my he, question he, would be he, like, what, my question would be like, what, what does Conley bring when he does come back? I don't, that might be a question for a couple of weeks now, but I think he can be a, a, a big physical presence, his presence in run support. You know, I'm not sure he is an upgrade in terms of pass coverage, you know, as a, as a free safety, but if he can come up and kind of be a, safety linebacker hybrid and be a guy who doesn't miss tackles in the box as a nickel safety guy, that'd be a, a huge boost. Cause we've seen what Colin can do. He's big. He hits, he likes the hits. I uh, can, you know, usually takes pretty good tracking angles. So yeah. He's a thumper when he gets there. I mean, if yeah. he gets there and he, he, you know, when he gets there, he's a thumper. Sometimes he has some uh, big swings and misses as we all know. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I would think, I would think UNC fans might want to stay patient here too, because I yeah. mean, this is the guy's long way back here, and it looks like he's encountered, you know, some difficulties along the way. Um, you know, so I, th- I would think a patient approach with JQ Conley would be needed. Yeah, and for folks listening that aren't on Inside Carolina Premium, the premium message board specifically for this podcast purposes, the Tar Pit Premium, uh, there, there's some comments in Adam's story thread. Um, that might give you some enlightenment to um, his progression and from people that would know. We'll put it that way. What you got, John B.? Next question. This is another interesting one about the fourth down aggressiveness. Mac Brown went for it, I think, three times in the first half on Saturday. Adam and Ross, what did that mean to the team, and what do you think about his aggressiveness uh, as a play caller? They are nine. They are nine of eleven on fourth downs, right, Adam? Mm-hmm. Yep. Nine of eleven. I mean, that is um, what a weapon to go for a fourth down and, and and convert nine of eleven. I mean, I wrote about it last week, and then they went for it three times, two for touchdowns against Virginia Tech. I mean, when you have Drake May, 
Um, he can pass it. He can run. I think it's a huge weapon. I mean, Mac has been bold about it, saying, "Look, I'm going to go for it. If we're inside the four, inside the fifty, and it's you know fourth and three, fourth and two, fourth and one, I'm going to go for it. If I'm the goal line, you know, it's fourth and one, fourth and two, I'm going to go for it. You know, obviously fourth and seven, eight. You know, if you're in that that thirty, forty range, probably kick a field goal. But he doesn't like taking field goals. He, I, I think, in this era, especially with you know, potentially how much, how, how many points the defense is going to give up. They're going to need touchdowns. Three points doesn't do much. You see it more in the NFL now, too. I mean, they're going for and fourth down. Uh, Mac tells Longo after first down sometimes, hey, this could be a spot where we're going to, you know, you have three downs. You have second down, third down, fourth down. And if they're, if they're third and eight, you know, maybe Drake May can get five, and then you have a, a fourth and three, a lot more manageable. And I would urge you all to listen to Calling the Shots uh, podcast with Jeff Schottmer because he talked about how that is so deflating for a defense and how it changes the defensive coordinators play calls because usually um, it was interesting how he explained it like on third and six for example the defense coordinator is uh, scheming for for a play for, for a passing play right so third and six you think it's a, a passing down but if you have that fourth down, you can run it on third and six, get three yards, and then it's fourth and three. So the defense coordinator kind of gets thrown off two from an offense that um, goes for it on third and fourth. Uh, it just changes everything, and I think it's a huge advantage for UNC. Yeah, and to Ross's point, calling the shots is, is YouTube on Monday mornings or, or Mondays, but we tag it on the end of this podcast, the audio versions. A lot of people – like to consume their podcast content audibly. And so we put it on the end of this podcast. So check it out, Calling the Shots. There's a lot of good stuff from Ross and Shot on there. Talking about that, I mean, you call for a pass play on third and eight um, as a defensive coordinator on a traditional offense, and then they run the ball for six, and then they're going for it on four. So it just mixes up the whole thing. I think I saw a stat, and y'all might can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I read it. On fourth down, Drake made six for six with four touchdowns. <laughs> and one of those um, is like a 64. Somebody wrote that. I don't know if it's one of y'all. I saw it somewhere. Anyway, that's a hell of a stat on fourth down. I, I mean, it's as good as it gets. And Mike wants to be aggressive. Well, you can't be any more aggressive than that to have a guy like that. I think um, when he says – I think when Mac says you – know, he, he said it several times. This is modern-day football. Uh, I think he, what you can read between the lines on that is exactly what Ross said we're going to need to score some points to win these games. Um, you know, like I think it's a, a, a subtle way of saying, here's the reality, you know, we, we're going to need to score 35, 40 points maybe to win some of these games. And when he goes, this is modern day football, but, but yeah, you know, uh, and Drake has said it, like what you guys are talking about with the third down setting up the fourth down, Drake says it repeatedly to us is that on third down, he's looking to get half of what they need or, you know, three-quarters of what they need to set up a fourth and short, to set up a fourth and medium. One of those fourth downs against Virginia Tech was a fourth and seven from the Virginia Tech 43. And it's a, <laughs> ended up being a pass to Josh Downs. And they scored a touchdown on the drive. To me, and I'll get the next question here in a second. To me, I took it as Mac Brown maybe feeling a little bit of heat, maybe thinking, you know, we need to score some points because we need to win this game. And he – uh, you know, it was very aggressive, I thought, especially the fourth and seven was a very aggressive call. Let's bring up the next question here. Uh, this is from our friend Slagle. What's your take on the running issues? The same five keep playing on the O-line and you're getting the same result. I, I can start it. Listen to Jason Staples on the day after podcast. 
or, and we'll talk about it more on Thursday night. A lot of it is on you, – we can talk about the offensive line and their issues in run blocking. But a lot of it comes down to running backs not making the correct read, not being patient and whatnot. And those things come with time. I mean, if a running back, say Adrian Peterson, walks in the door and is great from day one as a freshman, that's one thing. But most of the guys aren't like that. And I think you see guys like even Caleb Hood, he didn't play a ton last year. But Amarion Hampton especially, you play in high school, you can do certain things. You get to college, you cannot do certain things. And I think somebody pointed out – and maybe it was Staples, that Hampton tried to truck somebody maybe in the Notre Dame game and got stood up. And he looked like, what just happened? And those type moments, I think, will become less and less. But running backs, running the ball is a science. It's not just uh, the fastest guy wins or the dude with the most wiggle wins. It's knowing what to hit, knowing where to hit it. And I think that is as big an issue as any as as the offensive line may be. Adam? Yeah, I'm, this is going to be – I could be completely wrong about this. I hope it's not too hot takey because uh, I try to toe that, toe that journalistic line. But I think that – this is, again, just me. I think that they've wanted Omarion Hampton to be the starter. And for whatever reason, even though he's had, had the 200-yard games, games, he hasn't uh, taken the bull by the horns or whatever you want to say, grabbed it. I, I, I could be totally wrong about that. But I just – uh, and it's not because when we were leaving the player interviews uh, tonight, the Omarion Hampton went whizzing by me on a scooter and uh, scared the bejesus out of me with the speed that he was going. It's creating a lot of wind off that thing. But um, that's that's what I think. And and what you're talking about um, with, with the day after podcast and all, that's what Phil Longo said, told us last week, uh, told Ross and I and the rest of us, was that there were creases there, there were holes there, and it boiled down to against Notre Dame, sometimes just not hitting the hole in the crease that the play design had opened up what it needed to open up. And some guys just took the wrong holes. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that uh, the question kind of, you know, playing the same five offensive linemen, like, I think this is usually the case. Usually the best players are playing. Like we're not in practice. Yeah. Like if, if Zach Rice, for example, or um, Adorno was beating out Montillas or, Spencer Rowland, like they would be playing, I think. I, I think the coaches would see that. I think it's a combination of everything y'all said. You know, sometimes it's better to be patient as a running back, but I think the offensive line could also do a better job. You know, uh, Ed Montillas talked today about, you know, being better on the combo blocks, on different zone schemes. You know, it's it's a group effort. It's not just one person. It, it's the offensive line and it's the running back and it's the chemistry between both. That's a great segue into Gregory Hall's question, friend of the program, obviously. So what will it take in order for a running back to really emerge? Like, what do you need to see in order to say, this is our running back for the rest of the season? Ross, you can take it first. Uh, yeah, I mean, consistent production. And, you know, running the ball and not getting one or two yards or negative one yards, as we saw from Hampton on the goal line there. I mean, consistent three, four, five yards. Um, you know, getting to the second level, making a guy miss. And, and yeah, that's this is not crazy. I'm not breaking news here. Like you know, a guy that can be consist- consistently produced, and I think it's they're going to give Caleb Hood and Marn Hampton a chance. And I think DJ Jones is your third down back. You saw his success uh, picking up blitzes, uh, but it seems like they like those three over Pedaway. I think Pedaway is still going to be a, an impact player. I think they're going to have a couple plays for him throughout the game. But um, look, it's consistency 
and its production. And I think it's pretty, I think all those guys can produce, especially Hood and Hampton. Yeah, Phil Longo said the other day that they had some plays uh, on the sheet for Petaway that they didn't get to um, for whatever reason. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, let me answer you. Gregory Hall, obviously, we love him. Uh, hope everything's going great on the West Coast. West Coast, best coast. Um, you know, like, I, let me answer this question with more questions. Like, who is the starter at running back for UNC? I guess we don't know. Is this going to be a week to week thing? Is that is that the recipe for success here to keep this thing as an open competition week after week? You know, we talked to Caleb Hood today. Like, is he still the starter? He started the first half against Virginia Tech and he started the second half. They didn't go with Hampton or Jones or anybody like, you know, how is this thing going to play out? Um, you know, I, I, I think that's a huge thing. You know, like the, the, the comment from Mac still sort of echoes. Drake keeps saving us. Uh, he said about some of those second and longs and third and longs that Carolina gets in and you drop back to pass and he ends up running for 12 yards to keep a drive moving. So, um, you know, Mac said that's, that's the one area we really need to figure out on offense because this is obviously has been a high-flying offense. When I look at running back play, I, I remember what Jason said in the preseason when we did one of these roundtables. What's the number one job of a running back? Not to get the quarterback killed. And the blitz pickup, and you saw it against Virginia Tech a lot, is whether it was DJ Jones, I think Omarion had one, guys stepping in the hole to block the free guy to not get a shot on Drake May. Now, Drake May can get away from pretty much everybody, and he has, but to have that running back give him just that split second and that's one area that maybe Petaway struggled. I don't read and I don't, you know, worship the PFF Bible on this stuff. But those pass blocking grades matter. And I think DJ Jones specifically, but I, as far as the the more elite of the bunch, I think Hampton and Caleb Hood may do that better than Petaway, and that's why they're out there. But I also think they need to narrow it down, but does it matter who starts, you know? It, it matters who gets in the rhythm, but does it matter who tries that first? I think the coaches love DJ Jones. They point to him constantly about the blitz pickups and sort of the veteran savvy that he plays with. You know, the first touchdown, which was a fourth down that they went for, passed to Kamari Morales, your guy, Tommy. DJ Jones picked up a blitzer. At, you know, boom, right there on the goal line. They brought the house. He picked him up. Touchdown, Morales. You know, pitch and catch. I think the coaches – really appreciate that aspect of what DJ Jones brings to the table. And the play he made against app at of the course. end was the game winner, a uh, simple game winner. And I'm not sure any of the other guys would have, or could have done that at that moment um, in that ball game, the way that game was going. John what's next. I'll, I'll make one final point on this question. Answer it a little bit differently. There's a concept from the NFL. Those guys talk about angry runs. Who is going to be the first person to really step up and have a momentum-bringing run that really knocks somebody over, gets the sideline going? I think when you looked at British Brooks at the end of last season, he did that. He provided momentum to the team with some of his runs. Javante and Michael certainly would do that. So that's what I'm looking for. That's who would emerge as the main guy. Maybe let's get in one more question here before we have, have the break. Um, this is an interesting one. This is kind of getting into the nitty-gritty a little bit. But here's a couple names that we saw in the second half of these names here, Cowan, Hamrick, Hardy, Shaw, who would you most expect to see getting in the rotation the most over the second half of the season? Um, I, I, yeah. So, so Jacoby Cowan, 
Malachi Hamrick, Will Hardy, Travis Shaw, for our people listening and, and can't see the question. Um, I would say you know, they are playing a lot of those guys. I mean, Hamrick, it seems like Mac Brown loves Hamrick because he seems he's a pure pass rusher. So I think we'll continue, continue to see Cowan, Hamrick, and Hardy um, on, a, on the third downs. Um, and, and Hamrick could even kind of be a little bit of a, a linebacker too. You know, n- not a pure linebacker, but maybe drop into coverage. I and mean, he's light. He's what six four two thirty just not not a heavy set guy so um yeah I, I could see hammer you know growing into a role there of course we already talked about hardy but i'd love to see shaw become dominant i'm not sure they haven't really played him as much especially against uh tech adam the opportunity is there for travis shaw because miles murphy continues to be hobbled by that ankle injury he had at georgia state that you know he left the game with um there's an opportunity there I mean, Malachi Hamrick, I think Will Hardy is in the rotation. I think he's a rotation player if we're talking basketball here. He's he's out there. I mean, you saw him trying to cover Michael Mayer a couple of weeks ago, the Notre Dame tight end. Um, but, you know, Malachi Hamrick, uh, Jacoby Cowan, we're not sure if, if Phil Long – I mean, if Gene Chizik has a, a catchy name for that package. We were trying to ask him about it the other day. You know, turbo package, NASCAR package, that type of thing. But Malachi Hamrick, they had him running around out there uh, at App State uh, in the second game of the season. You know, like App's making that comeback. Uh, UNC defense is gas. They threw 24 in there. I said it to Ross. I was like, who is 24? It's not British Brooks. <laughs> That's exactly what I was doing. We got we had the binoculars out like, who is – oh, my God, it's the true freshman Malachi Hamrick. So, um, I think he's one to watch, you know. I think, I think Will Hardy's going to keep coming. Yeah, I think the opportunity is there for Travis Shaw, but I think, you know, well, let's see what Malachi Hamrick can do here in the next couple of weeks. Man, you went you went high there, Adam. I did, and I felt it. <laughs> I said, what, what can you do there? I saw your reaction. <laughs> you know, it's 13, 14 years old. You start, your voice starts changing, so you're getting there. Yeah. Um, I, I think Travis Shaw is the difference maker of that bunch this year. Uh, I just don't know if he's physically or – you know, in shape enough or whatever the excuse they have for not playing him a ton. But look, he 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 worked a couple of Virginia Tech dudes, and then he got a pass breakup. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you got these quarterbacks that are six foot or less trying to throw over that guy. Um, you know, I, I think Shaw's the difference maker, but I think Hardy, like y'all mentioned, is already in the rotation. He's going to play the most out of that group. What you got, John? John B. No, let's do a re- let's do a, a break, Ross. Yep. We got a uh, Blue Shark Vodka here, your one-stop shop, your vodka needs out of Wrightsville Beach down there on the coast. We want to shout out Connor Barth and Blue Shark Vodka. Check out their website. Check out uh, their Instagram page, supporting Inside Carolina Podcast, supporting Calling the Shots and On the Beat. Blue Shark Vodka, the smoothest vodka in the world. Tag me on Twitter, Instagram if you're drinking some Blue Shark Vodka. It's very accessible. Uh, you can get it all 100 counties in North Carolina, which is very cool. Uh, parts of South Carolina, I think they're in Vegas now and, and San Diego. So they're, they're taking over an independent company. We want to support independent companies to support podcasts like us. It's a, it's a good synergy of uh, independent, kind of independently owned companies. Blue Shark Vodka, Inside Carolina. Check them out on Instagram um, and let them know that Inside Carolina sent you Blue Shark Vodka, the smoothest vodka in the world. Tommy. And Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyT-Shirt.com, the sponsors of these podcasts, sponsors of Inside Carolina, and friends of the Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. You get 10% off your order if you mention the Inside Carolina code that you get on the premium message boards. 
uh, it's worth it, man. 10% off of a couple hundred bucks, a lot of money you can save at Johnny T-shirt. And then you get a, the sales anyway. They're always having great sales. Alumni owned and operated, anything you could possibly want. You can get some sweaters there. You can get some uh, pullovers. It's getting to be cold. So go check out the hoodies, the crew neck sweatshirts that Ross is so fond of. Anything you need for any event, sports related at North Carolina Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. Visit them or get them online. National guys will pay the bills. It's on the beat. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're back. It's about 9.35. We are right on schedule, boys. I love this. I love a good schedule. Uh, it, let me ask a question that, you know, we see people that are chiming in on the message boards. And a lot of the questions are about consistency and who's going to do this and who's going to do that. Have we ever... I've been working for Inside Carolina since 1997-98. Ross, you've been doing a long time. Adam, you've been doing a long time. Have we ever seen any semblance of consistency from college kids? Like, on the regular? Really? I mean, sometimes they do a lot of things well a lot, a few days in a row, but consistency? Adam? It's an open-ended question, Tommy. I know, and that's what I'm – I pride myself on – Long-winded, uh, open-ended questions. I think a, a third-year, fourth-year point guard, fourth-year point guard has been consistent at UNC. You know, a Joel Berry, a Marcus Page, a, uh, even a, a Ray Felton and Ty Lawson. Hansborough is pretty consistent for four years. Great so, answer, Ross. Different sport there, but Hansborough, what, four-time All-American, four-time first-team All-American? It was pretty good. Uh, little different level of talent, I think, that UNC basketball recruits compared to football. Um they're pretty consistent on the Alabama football team. That's right. Well, I mean, that's I, I said it in Chapel Hill. I didn't okay, say my, Tuscaloosa. Yeah, John, John, bail me out here, brother. Get us another question from the masses. There are a lot of questions coming in. Keep keep them coming in the chat box. We have two hundred seventy-one people watching. This is a, this is an interesting question. This is from our friend Lionel. Where is wide receiver Andre Green? I think he played a handful of snaps. Um, but are you surprised we haven't seen him more this season, especially given UNC's injuries on the wide receiver position? Where are you going to well, put him? I mean, he's, well, he's out there. I saw him on sidelines Saturday. He's for sure yeah. out there. I think he's, he's dealing he did, with – He didn't dress the Notre Dame game because he had back spasms. So. Yeah, I think he's dealing with some injuries. He did get in against Virginia Tech. But, look, J.J. Jones, um, uh, Antoine Green, Gavin Blackwell are ahead of him. That's because Andre Green came in in June, so that that's basically why. But he's a stud. He's gonna be he's gonna be there. And it's true that 
during the preseason when we would go over there to, to talk to these guys and we would ask them what they're noticing in practice, they did mention Andre Green and they did mention Omari and Hampton, I guess, because they were new and those guys were standing out. But I think, um, I think Andre Green has got a, you know, a, a lot more uh, learning to do to get uh, out there regularly. I've got a question here from Jack. We're going to give this question, then we're going to give our stock picks and all of our future picks as well. This is predicting the future. But yeah. do you think that the defense will continue to look good or decent versus Miami, or will it revert to the first four games? Question from Jack. <laughs> Yeah, that's a $64 million question, so I would defer it. And we will go yeah. with A for Adam first. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, I feel like, as we've discussed, the it is set up for the defense to continue playing well, uh, given well in, – and I'm doing air quotes uh, for those who can't see my beautiful self. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm, you know, Miami's had some uh, a few encountered a few issues on offense. I think that you know they have a quarterback who is struggling a little bit, and I think that uh, the UNC defense can keep it up. Now, what's going to happen Saturday? This is what's going to happen. Carolina is going to win the game, forty-one to thirty-one. Um, I thirty-one. They're going to you know thirty-one points sounds like a lot to give up, but it's they're going to do enough, and uh, the Tar Heels are going to improve to five five and one on the season. They haven't started a season five and one since 2015, Tommy Ashley. Hold on. Ho, 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 ho. Let me go back to the preseason picks. And I'll call up Adam Smith, who sent me this on August 18th. <laughs> oh, no. At 4.31 p.m. October 8th at Miami. Loss. Damn. What's changed? I'm the only one that picked Carolina to win that game, by the way. Well, I had not yet seen Drake May play a game when I sent that. And uh, – <laughs> You know, I mean, if Miami had beaten Middle Tennessee uh, a couple of weeks ago, they'd be ranked. You know, they're ranked number 24 when they lost that game. They, they'd be at the bottom of the pole somehow. This would be Carolina playing a top 25 opponent. Um, I, I would say what's changed is Drake May, and I think Miami's kind of uh, struggled a little bit out of the game. Where you at with it, Ross? Yeah, I'm not going to spend too much time on this one. I mean, I am positive and optimistic that they can look, uh, you know, above average, average to above average or decent again. And build on that. Um, one thing it does concern me with Virginia, with uh, teams like Miami, but they got some athletes down there. Regardless of the coaching, the age, the youth, whatever's going on down there, they have athletes. They always do. And so once you get those guys developed and a little bit of coaching, they got some freaks on both sides of the ball. So that's always I mean, maybe a just a bias of just knowing the type of recruiting they do because they always are not very. It doesn't seem like they've been very good over the last 10, 15 years since they joined the ACC, but. When they are clicking and, and, and talented, it's because they have some, some good athletes that they recruit down there. I think you know, a lot of people are asking about who's out for Miami and if somebody's hurt. I posted on the Tar Pit Premium the Miami press conferences. They're worth listening to, especially Kevin Steele's. Mario Cristobal doesn't give you much. I mean, he's one of them old, hard, hardcore, old-school football guys. He doesn't give you, give you much, but Kevin Steele's – uh, presser was pretty good. And then Josh Gaddis, who's Northern Durham, Wake Forest, Josh Gaddis, mm. Miami offensive coordinator. And why is Michigan's right? What a hell of a run for that guy. Um, never thought that would happen when he was at Northern Durham. But at any rate, uh, there's a lot of great information in there. John, you got any more questions? This 941 on the East Coast. We usually go an hour, but we might be getting out of here early if folks don't pick up the questions. 
This is a question uh, from a YouTube uh, viewer. Uh, he says, if the heels defense returns to pre-VT levels, what happens next? We kind of got a glimpse of what the defense could look like against Virginia Tech, but what does it mean for the rest of ACC play if this defense looks like it did against uh, some of the early season competition? Why are we looking back? <laughs> yeah, these are just such like, who knows, man? I mean, like, we don't know. It's hard to answer questions that are so like in the stratosphere like that. Like, I mean, they, it would suck. They hey, it would suck. Lose. Yeah. Hey, it was, hey, you know what? It would suck. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I uh, be, it, fan base it, would be pissed. Message boards would be lit. They have to ask the tough questions to Mac Brown and Gene Chizik. You know, I we want this team to hey, look as unbiased as you try to be. I want UNC to be really, really good because it's really fun covering a really good team. And so, um, like, 2015 was awesome, covering Mark Reese Williams, Ryan Switzer, Elijah Hood, Matt Collins, and, and a, a pretty solid defense. That was really, really fun. So I would love for them not to not to revert back to Notre Dame. Yeah, I think that's the, what you guard against. Uh, if you're, you know, a Carolina fan or what, like, how does, how does UNC deal with – uh, a moderate level of success here. You know, played one ACC game. They won it dominatingly. It was a blowout uh, against a team that, if they want to have a successful season, they should be. Um, so, you know, I don't know if we need to uh, to in, uh, put that evil on <laughs> the defense by saying, "What if they go back to uh, giving up forty points in a quarter?" But um, I think that's a that's something that surrounds this game against Miami is. How do how does the defense build off? There was a column on Inside Carolina about something to build on. How does the defense build off what they did, and how do they translate that to this week uh, down uh, at Miami? Somebody asked, "Is this game a must-win?" To me, no, it is not a must-win. App State was a must-win. Um, Virginia Tech was a must-win. At Miami is not a must-win. You know what? This if they win this, man, they're in the driver's seat yep. in the coastal, and you're two and zero. You know, and look, I mean, I think Adam, I, I don't know, I've talked to everybody about this. The coastal sucks, and it's right there for the taking. And UNC has a great quarterback in Drake May, one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC, uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. And if that defense can just play average, maybe even a little bit below average, they have a chance because every, everybody sucks. Uh, Miami's not that good. Virginia Tech's obviously awful. I think Duke may be decent. I haven't really watched Duke play much. Pitt's on their third-string quarterback and just lost to Georgia Tech at home. Georgia Tech fired their coach. They're not very good. Uh, Virginia lost to Duke. So, I mean, it is out there for the taking. So, 0-2, you're sitting pretty in the ACC because I think, you know, four wins in the ACC Coastal may win it. So, it's not a must-win in terms I, – I think, I think you're right, Tommy. But, um, look, it's a, it's a great opportunity. Because this is kind of it's kind of cruising. After that, I mean, there's nobody on the schedule that scares me. Yeah. I mean, I, let's not forget Miami was picked to win the coastal. It was yeah. Miami first, uh, Pitt second, UNC third. But as Ross and I have discussed, Carolina wins this game this weekend, and Duke beats Georgia Tech. Uh, you got five and one UNC against five and one Duke. Both teams two and zero oh in the ACC. Uh, next Saturday game, night, game day, game day coming in town. <laughs> that would Vitale, be epic game Dick Vitale and Lee Corso making picks together wondering what earth they're on oh my Alder, gosh Alder easy I love uh, easy I like old people they're I'm, great I'm, I'm they're a fan great. of they're old, old people. they're great they're old they're losing it 
With, <laughs> it's <laughs> sort of like Clemson beating State and Wake already in the Atlantic. They're in the driver's seat because they, for any one of those teams to have a chance, then Clemson's got to lose twice, and that ain't happening in the Atlantic. So Carolina's getting close to that. I, um, I think Wake Wake is the toughest team on the schedule, Wake or State, but that's not how think- the coach this is not to disagree with Tommy, but just to play devil's advocate. It, it is a must win, I think, because you've got Pitt this week. I mean, you've got – I'm sorry. you got Miami this week, then you have Duke, then you have a second bye for UNC. And then after that second bye, there's Pitt, there's Wake, there's NC State. Um, you know, I th- the schedule gets harder. Um, so, I mean, like, I think this is a game that uh, you need to win uh, if, you're, if you're Carolina. I had a Once stat – Real quick, John. Uh, the pit the pit games at home. It comes off a bye week. I think Mac Brown is zero and five coming off an open week. Oh, correct. I mean, it's that, that becomes a trend after a while. There, which is worse, his bye week record or his record in the state of Virginia? <laughs> you know what his record is against Miami? It was going to be a stat I was going to give you. Well, uh, this is three and zero. Yeah, if Carolina wins Saturday, Mac Brown is four and zero against the Miami Hurricanes. Do the Sam Howell uh, downward U thing there. It is a, uh, but that was all because he owned Manny Diaz as well. So does anything change there? Go ahead, John. You had a stat. We got to get stats of the week. I did. This is an interesting stat to me. So ESPN FPI does like percentage to to win out, percentage to win the division. UNC has a better chance of winning their division than the 5-0 and Michigan Wolverines, who are ranked number four overall in the country. UNC has a 29% chance to win the Coastal. Michigan has a 22% chance to win their division. And Michigan is obviously a superior football team to North Carolina. So you really just have to play the schedule. You're given. And North Carolina has been given really a gift in this last year of the ACC Coastal if they can go out and claim it. There have been gifts laying on the field before for North Carolina, and they have not collected them and picked them <laughs> up. And as Slagle said, there's a little team up there in Ohio called Ohio State yeah. that Michigan has to deal with. Anything left, boys? Uh, anything we didn't talk about? Somebody wants a Drake May segment. We have that portion of the program on Sundays on the day after. I mean, we could talk about it. It's ridiculous. I see uh, some stats, I believe, on uh, – the, the main website, the Go Hills website, talking about his comparison to other guys. Drake May's not winning the Heisman this year unless Carolina wins out. This is not going to happen. It's going to be one of those dudes from another one of the big schools. If Carolina's like 12 and 1. Well, yeah, this is interesting to talk about, Tommy. I mean, 10 and 2, uh, 9 and 3 with those numbers. I don't know. You're going to be ranked there, right? You're going to be a top, you, you would think a top 20 team at 9 and 3. Nine, 10 and 2 maybe. I don't know. It's interesting. It's an interesting conversation. Lamar Jackson won it in Louisville was 8 and 4 if my memory serves. Mm-hmm. So, there is precedent. And look, they're going to be able to put up he's going to be able to put up some numbers. It's not like he's going against any world beaters on defense. So, and the and numbers a, have been ridiculous so far. I mean, yeah. so, I mean not to be not to be too negative, but I tell you with Drake May and you're talking about the Heisman and everything, how about what's going to happen going into next season? Like, you know, it's going to be talked for months and months and months and months about Drake May as a Heisman candidate going into next season. Um, I'm not saying he's not this year, but I was already thinking, like, you know how it is in the offseason, especially with football, where you're going through the summer. There's not much going on. People are talking college football in June and July. We're going to be talking about Drake May a lot going into the 2023 season. Yeah, and another thing, not, not to look ahead, it's kind of crazy we're talking about this right now, but 
you know, maybe get a transfer offensive tackle, a transfer wide receiver who wants to catch balls from the Heisman candidate. You think the running backs would be better? I mean, you could when you have a star quarterback, you might get some players in that can really help your chances there. We we, we need to stop talking about 2023 though. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good I, point, Ross. I think it's a good yeah. point. I wanted to say there's there's levels to the Heisman race, right? You can win the Heisman. That's very hard to do. But there's other things. You can get invited to the Heisman ceremony, and you can get Heisman votes, which would be a huge accomplishment. So even if Drake May gets in that conversation, he gets some Heisman votes. It's also very much a narrative thing. Look at what's happening with Jalen Daniels at Kansas. His Heisman stock is going up because there's a great narrative around him. So it's a long season. You kind of have to let the narratives play out. And maybe Drake May's narrative peaks at the right time and he gets invited to New York. Never know. It. it could happen. Hey, how about this? I would have had a Heisman vote this year, but I uh, I uh, let one of my colleagues in my former life take that. I could have voted for Drake May for Heisman. No how, how about this? Drake May wins the Heisman next year, and they make a statue of him high-fiving Sam Howe in the end zone at App. <laughs> That's a statue on the other side of Charlie Choo Choo Justice. It's Sam Howe high-fiving Drake May. The look on Sam Howell's face, though. Yeah, and, and that's, that, Drake, that, Drake May kind of going around with a with smile. That'd be awesome. It is uh, it, it is uh, crazy to even think about it, but the dude's numbers are, are ridiculous. You got anything left, John? I've got a our humorous question of the night. Ross, we thought you weren't an X and O's guy. You've got some X's and O's behind you, though. Describe it for the people listening on the podcast here. It's five X's and four O's. That's five <laughs> offensive linemen and – Four defensive linemen. And then it, it says football, 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 football. It's about as simple as it gets. Just a bunch of X's and a bunch of the O's. When you're like football guy. The offensive players, the O's, and the defensive players, the X's. But hey, what do I know? We do, things we, uh, we do things a little bit different at the Martin Manor. <laughs> I, I was looking for the grocery list, but I can't read that far up there. Uh, you don't want to read that. Some quinoa, <laughs> some, some carrot juice. Yeah, that's carrot juice. <laughs> let's get out of here boys it's uh, about eight minutes to the hour it's been on the beat live inside carolina's most fun podcast uh, i got a snap for you tommy oh oh i forgot i've got to get in the, in the in the rhythm now adam stat of the week give it this to me this is a shout out to my guy james gilbert one of my longtime readers uh he has tweeted me today that this is interesting that uh miami and I love how he clarifies Miami of Florida, only has a losing record, all-time losing record against two teams it has played more than 19 times. Okay, so, you know, that's Notre Dame and the North Carolina Tar Heels, uh, which I thought that was kind of pretty interesting thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of history there in the Miami program, a lot of history in Notre Dame program. Carolina's in that company. Winsipedia, man, the greatest website ever for college football comparisons like that. Check it out. I was trying to find it before we got out of here, but I'm ready to get out of here. It's All been right. Beat Live, sponsored by Blue Shark, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. John Bowman keeping on the rails. Adam Smith and Ross Martin doing what they do as the Inside Carolina Beat Writers. I'm the host, Tommy Ashley. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Be on the lookout for – uh, calling the shots right after this one ends on the audio calling the shots is right after us day after or excuse me the game plan podcast on thursday and i believe coast to coast podcast tomorrow a lot of inside carolina content coming up in the next couple of days carolina and miami from miami gardens ross you're going correct 
Adam and I are going. We've already started talking to Jim about restaurants, and so far it's not going too well. Oh, <laughs> uh, you better go ahead and get Jim, your Jim, credit card Jim's, limit up. Jim said, do you guys like sushi? And I go, Jim, we're going to Miami. Let's go get some Caribbean food, Haitian food, Cuban food. Like, I can get sushi in New York or Japan. I want to eat I want to eat Cuban food. I don't want to eat sushi, man. I was like, God, are you serious? Oh my God! We need. I think the a, forecast we, is supposed to be eighty-five degrees at game time too. Is that I right, Ross? I might wear a Hawaiian shirt in the press box. <laughs> Hawaiian shirt, Hawaiian shirt, and, and five-inch inseam pants in the press That's box. Right. No, I mean we were on the beach at the Orange Bowl on January the second. So yep. Miami is the place to be for some nice weather. Guys, it's been fun. It's always been a pleasure. Check us out inside Carolina and insidecarolina.com. Peace. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Welcome in to Call on the Shots, presented by Blue Shark Vodka. The smoothest vodka in the world. This is Calling Shots. I'm your host, Ross Martin of Inside Carolina. Joined, as always, by Jeff Schottmer, former UNC linebacker, former UNC defensive analyst and graduate assistant. What's up, Jeff? What's up, Ross? What's going on? Happy Monday. Yeah, man. Back at it. Feels a little bit better after a nice, comfortable 41-10 to 10 win by the Tar Heels um, over Virginia Tech. Uh, a get-back win. UNC moves to 4-1 and one on the season. And and one and zero in the coastal, one one and zero in the ACC, which has to feel good, especially coming off a really tough week, kind of an embarrassing look in the mirror game versus Notre Dame. Jeff, you watched the game. We've talked about it. You've watched it twice. Watched the tape. What are some of your initial takeaways? I know you have three or four here to kind of get into it about UNC's win over Virginia Tech in Keene Stadium. Yeah, the first thing is we we got a bounce back win. You know, Virginia Tech. It isn't very talented this year, but we can't control who's on our schedule. We just have to win the games that are on our schedule. And uh, the way the way we took care of business was exactly how we were supposed to, to, to play. You know, when a team isn't very talented, you're supposed to dominate in all three phases. And, and, and we did that. You know, we we won by 31 points. You know, the spread was nine and a half. So we, you know, tripled that. Um, and, and we we uh, we kind of got back on the tracks defensive-wise. You know, this was a game where Virginia Tech wasn't skilled on offense, but, you know, we held them to under 300 yards and, and 10 points. So that's exactly what we were supposed to do. If you're a coaching staff, what do you tell your players, especially on defense, when you beat a team like that and, and you play really well and hold them to 10 points and shut them out in the second half? Like, what are you telling the, the defensive players about that performance, knowing that Virginia Tech's offense is not really good and we'll probably finish – really, really low in the ACC and in the nation. You guys handled business. That's what you were supposed to do. Um, and confidence in sports is a crazy thing. Um, and, and this was a game for our players to build confidence. You know, we, we didn't run any new scheme. You know, we were running the same coverage as we, we've been running. 
So it was a way for our defensive staff to be like, look, you know, here's the, set, the same calls we've run the whole season, and here's how you guys executed them. You guys were physical. You guys got off blocks. You ran to the ball well. You took great pursuit angles. Um, so just just harp on all the things we did well. Uh, we, we still missed a few tackles. Um, you know, the, the surface was slick. I will say we had a couple, you know, times we slipped. Um, one in particular, Storm Duck on the first drive. That was that was one of the that was one of the explosive plays we gave up. You know, they, they run a little glance concept. We're in one high and Storm Duck. That's his man, um, and he he slips on his break, um, and it happens. But here, here's the thing: the post safety should knock that down for 12 yards and, instead of letting it go for 30. Um, so just little things like that. But you know, I was overall pleased with the with the with the defense performance when I was there. Yeah. Ch- Chizik's number one importance for a defense he said the most important stat was was scoring defense he said throw all the other stats out the window whether it's third down conversion fourth down red zone it doesn't matter it's the number of points we allow and if we allow 10 points you know that's I don't care who we play in college football that's a that's a good number yeah and Chizik's big thing is also limiting explosive plays and Virginia Tech only had two explosive plays in the whole game it was a 25 yard run I believe you talked about already, and then a 34-yard passing play Wells to Caleb Smith. So that's impressive, too. I mean, it was a great performance by the defense. Want to dive a little bit more into the defense. What did you see them – you mentioned some things. What are some things they did really well um, in the game that stood out to you? Maybe it's just an improvement from Notre Dame that stuck out. They can kind of build on. I think one thing that Mac Brown and GTX said is, is having them see them do the right things, and then it, it, it showed and be productive on the field. I wonder what you saw. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'll talk about the cornerback play because we've been, you know, a little negative on them in, in prior episodes. And so what I saw from the first two series was a mixture of press man and off coverage. So the cornerbacks, and obviously I think they have some freedom to do what's um, what they prefer. You know, some corners do like to be pressed up and some do like to play off just depending on the situation as well. Um, but, you know, we saw a mixture of that, and, and that was good to see. You saw Grimes had a couple breakups. Um, it, the, the good thing about the cornerbacks, if you don't really notice them all day, then they're doing a good job. When you start to notice them, you know, because they're getting beat vertical or they're having, you know, pass interference calls, then that, that's not good. Um, but I, I, I think we just got back to, to fundamentals and, and simplicity, right, in terms of we, we, we ran to the ball, we tackled better, we played with leverage. Uh, one play in particular that stood out to me was it was in the first quarter, uh, Virginia Tech has a run play and they kind of bounce it outside to the field and it's Noah Taylor's Noah Taylor's on that side and he's just stringing along the block he defeats a block and makes the ball go east and west and when he does that he allows our linebackers to hunt because they can really run and he allows our safeties to hunt from top down so you know that they took great angles to the ball and I think we, we tackled it for a minus three so you know that play alone just showed me you know, we're playing physical, we're playing with leverage, and we're, we're tracking the ball well. So that, that, was, that was a good thing to see. Yeah, I mean, this was a huge, like you said, momentum, confidence, you know, get a little calm down, like reset, and then get the win, play a lot of players, and on defense, just see some things work, you know, see some blitzes work, make good tackles, you know, you know 99 yards, rush defense. I mean, that, that's excellent. Um, the players-only meeting, which happened – uh, on Sunday after Notre Dame game, 
They talked about that all week. Obviously, it was a big topic conversation after the game as well by Cayman Rucker and Cedric Gray. What's your experience with that? You know, it could be various forms, I think, that players can meet and decide. Like, when you heard that, what did you think about and then how that had effect on how they played during the week and during the game? I think you hear Matt Brown talk about it all the time, and the best teams are player-led teams, not coach-led. And, you know, it's good to see them, you know, come together. But I don't think it had that big of an impact. I really don't. Uh Um, You know, in the meeting rooms all the time, you can get, you know, very rah-rah and and emotional and stuff, but you still have to go translate it to the field. And I I don't think that player-led meeting on Monday – had a huge impact on, on the play Saturday. I think, I think practice on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and their preparation and then their actual execution on Saturday was the reason they were successful. Um, I, I'm not a big believer in, in all that hype that leads up to uh, – emotional play leads up to great play on Saturday. I believe it's the consistent work you put in throughout the week and the preparation of the film room and your execution on game day. Um, so that's – I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad – look, I, I hope we come back and, and look at the end of the year and we're playing the ACC championship and we can look back to our defense and be like, that player-led meeting, that was the turning point of our season. So Yeah. yeah I think it's something where, like, it, it definitely doesn't hurt. And it's good to kind of – I think it's good in, in any sort of situation. Get your feelings out. Talk about it. Um, you know, open those lines of communication. Make sure everybody's kind of heard. And, and then it kind of – some leaders can reveal themselves. I think Cedric Gray is emerging as leader. Cayman Rucker is emerging as a leader. Um, Ray Bahasic, I think it's good when people can communicate, know, express how they feel. And then if that is, it can be beneficial through the week in practice. And I think it had a little bit of impact in the game as well. Um, also, I think just a game like this takes the heat off the defense, whether or not you're reading social media, whether or not you're, you're on Twitter or Instagram, seeing all the comments. I think just, you know, 10 points shut out in the, in the second half, getting a good interception, lots of points. Like it just takes the heat off, lets them reset. They're not as um, weary of the outside world, and I think it allows them to focus a little better. Um, okay, fourth down success. I think that was your kind of third point off the top. We talked about beating Virginia Tech, the defense. And I think fourth down success has been a, a relatively new thing with Mac Brown, Phil Longo. I'm not sure how much they went for it the last three years, but this year, especially against Virginia Tech, three for three on fourth down. And it's a weapon, especially when you have a quarterback like Drake May. Yeah, I Fourth down success is huge. Uh, I think we're top five in the country in the amount of times we've gone for, gone for it on fourth down, and our success rate is is in the top five, I think, in the country. Uh, obviously, versus Virginia Tech, we go three for three, uh, with the first one being a in the red zone when we, when we score, we throw a touchdown to Kamari Morales. You know, a defense's goal when an offense gets to the red zone is to hold them to a field goal. Because those points add up, right? It's simple math. We can all do it, you know, especially when they're down inside the five-yard line. To be able to hold a team to a field goal instead of a touchdown is huge. So us being able to go for it on fourth down in the red zone, especially, you know, in the goal line areas, is a big. The second one was, you know, it was the second drive of the game, and it's fourth and seven you know, just beyond the 50-yard line. You know, that that's a, a limbo situation for all coaches, right? Do we punt it and do we pin them down? Or do we let, you know, Drake may be able to deliver a strike to somebody, you know, we, we, uh, he finds Josh Downs on a, on a kind of throw up play fourth and seven, but 
momentum is a crazy thing in the game. We get that first down and then we go down and score the next, you know, the few plays after that. So instead of, you know, either punting the ball away back to their offense or, you know, not converting that fourth down, we, we ultimately convert that for fourth down and we go down there and score and put points on the board. So that's just a huge momentum swing in the game because we're able to do that. Yeah. And like, what's the benefit of having Drake may as, as your quarterback, when you're going for and fourth down, obviously that's a big role of it because of how mobile he is and his ability to pass the ball. The, the first thing that you said, it is his mobility. There's nothing more demoralizing to a defense than say it's third and nine or fourth and nine. And, you know, you're playing, you're playing pass coverage, you're rushing four and you're dropping seven and you're, and you're matching up all the routes and the routes are completely matched up. There's nowhere to go to the ball. And Drake may eludes one defender and scrambles for 11. You know, there is nothing more demoralizing. I would rather a team run it down my throat than us play great coverage. And the quarterback somehow navigates and escapes for 11. I'm telling you, it just, it hurts. It hurts the defensive coordinator. It hurts the players in the field because, you know, he's thinking in the back of the head, okay, I can't call that coverage next time because he's, he's more athletic than our defensive lineman. And we, we, we can't, we can't get home with four. So just his ability to run and have mobility and, and make plays with his legs is so crucial. Yeah. I mean, there's so much confidence right now in the UNC offense. And I wrote about it this week and, and Matt kind of talked about it a lot after the game on Saturday. I mean, like he's going to go for it on fourth down, whether, you know, it's, they're on the inside the 50 and it's, you know, fourth and two, fourth and one, he's going to go for it on the goal line, fourth and one, fourth and two, he's going to go for it. He has confidence in Drake may, um, you know, field goals don't do much anymore. Like you need seven points to win, especially against good teams. You saw them go for it against Notre Dame a couple of times as well. Um, you know, he'd much rather have seven. If he doesn't get fourth down, at least you're pinning the other team's offense pretty deep in their territory there. Um, and then I mean, Phil Longer likes as well. I think it really affects play calling. I don't know your thoughts on this, but if you know, this was a big thing from this week. If you know you have, you know, after first down, if you know you have four downs, it affects your play call and second down. It definitely affects your play calling and what Drake does on third down. You'll get half of it. If it's third and eight, maybe get four or five yards. You don't need the, the seven or eight, nine-yard play. And then fourth down, get the rest. Um, your, your thoughts on just how it affects play calling, anything, anything different other than that from, a, from an offensive standpoint? I'll speak from a defensive perspective because it, I think it's, it's tougher in that sense. Say, say it's third and six, right? A, a traditional offense on third and six, they're not going to run the ball. Right. So there's there's a breaking point when a defensive coordinator is studying the offense and he says, OK, if they get to third and four or more, 90 percent of the time they're throwing the ball. So your, your calls as a defensive coordinator are correlated to, you know, pass defense or if you're going to pressure them, whatever it's going to be. But so say you get an offense that's third and six. So you're you're thinking, OK, quick game, maybe slants or outs or something, something quick to get, you know, the five or six yards you need. Well, in our case, we can still run the ball in third and six, because if we know we're going to go for it on, on fourth and two every time, you know, say we run the ball and get half back, then it's still fourth and two, fourth and three. So the defensive coordinator is he's kind of handcuffed. He doesn't really know what's going to happen because it's kind of breaking the uh, it's breaking the stereotype of what they normally do in that situation. So it puts way more pressure on the defensive coordinator and what he's going to call than it does on the offense. Great points there. All right, that's our initial takeaways off the top there. Um, taking care of business, UNT's growth, step forward on defense, and then fourth down success, which is becoming a, 
pretty big deal for UNC's offense. All right, I want to talk to you about UNC's run game, um, rushing attack, run game, however you want to phrase it there. Against, pull this up here, against Virginia Tech, uh, UNC ran the ball 32 times, includes 13 attempts by Drake May for 160 yards and two touchdowns. Both those touchdowns were by Drake. You did some crunching the numbers. Um, I just think UNC wasn't very efficient. I know entering the game, and based on the press conference from last Monday, Phil Longo and Mac Brown wanted to pare down the rotation, which means obviously going with one or two guys instead of three or four guys at running back. So let's get your initial thoughts on UNC's run game. We'll dive into personnel, scheme, run blocking, all that good stuff, wherever you want to start, Jeff. Yeah. Our, our best run right now is – uh, get four wide, have the receivers run down the field, Drake scramble and get, get 11 yards. You know, that, that's our best run game right now. Um, just, just the eye test of looking at it, we're, we're not getting much push on first and second down designed runs. Um, you know, there's a couple of times where we'll pop a long run and I think it kind of skews our numbers. Uh, early on, we, we, we had some success with that flip play where, where Drake would kind of, mesh like he's going to run inside zone and then, you know, kind of flip it out to Caleb and we got on the perimeter with some good blocking. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that was, I think the first time we kind of saw that this season and that was a successful play for us. But, um, you know, when we're st- when our standard, just inside zone, which is, you know, the basic run in college football, our offensive line and tight ends aren't really creating space and they aren't creating push for our running backs to find and navigate and hit a hole, you know, that, a lot of times, you know, defenses will slant and move on us and either our center guard combo or a guard tackle combo will let, you know, the defensive line slip through, whether it's miscommunication or, or, or just, you know, lack of physicality. And, and we're, we're, we're getting, you know, stuffed at the line of scrimmage or they're creating negative plays versus. Can, can you explain a basic inside zone run and what happens with the offensive line and what the running back's supposed to do? Yeah, so say there's, you know, four down defensive linemen because that's the standard, you know, front in college football. So we have five offensive linemen and usually a tight end in there when we're running the game. So there's three combo blocks, whether it's the center guard, you know, blocking the nose, the guard tackle blocking the the, uh, defensive end. You know, they're all kind of just stepping on their tracks and they're just zoning one way. You know, no one's pulling. There's no gap scheme involved. It's just everyone kind of on their track, the offensive lineman and tight end, just on their track, just at, a, at, an, at an angle to, you know, create holes for a running back. It's just a very simple, simple play, you know. Um, you're kind of just, just kind of moving – you're just moving the defensive line kind of up and out to create holes. And then the running back has a hole and a track to go. Correct, yeah. And, and it, we're, just, we're just not successful in that right now. Um, like you said, I pulled some numbers, and the numbers I found were – so it take Drake's numbers out of the game, Drake, take his rushes out. When we hand the ball to the running back, uh, we had 18 carries for 84 yards, okay? And three of those carries went for 64 yards. One of them was the long, with a 30-yarder from Hampton, um, a long one from Caleb, and then DJ, I think, had a decent, decent game. So that leaves us 15 rushes for 20 yards. You know, that is, that, that is not great numbers at all. Uh, it's very inefficient. You know, it's 1.1, 1.2 yards per carry when we're just, you know, handing the ball to our running backs and saying, you know, go for it. So uh, that's something we got to get cleaned up. Yeah, I mean, entering the season, you would think running back was going to be a strength 
of this offense with Hampton, with George Petaway, Caleb Hood, DJ Jones. Um, and you look at the stats from Gene Tech and Drake Mays leading rusher with 73 yards. That's including um, sacks if there, if there were any. Um, so what what do you think is the – what's kind of the remedy here? What, what needs to happen for UNC to, to improve their rushing attack? In my opinion, I think we are better – from an offensive line perspective and from the running back perspective, when we run gap scheme plays. And when, when, I mean, when I mean gap scheme, I mean, that's when you see a, an offensive lineman, it's usually down blocking from one side of the offensive line and the other side of the, the offensive line is getting up and pulling around to the other side. You know, uh, if you know football, power and counter are, are called gap scheme plays where you're actually having an offensive lineman yeah. remove himself from one side of the field and he's going to the other side to either kick out a defensive end, a linebacker or whatever. And, and in my opinion, I think we're not as physical on the offensive line, but we're, we're decently athletic. So we have good movement skills and that, that benefits us in gap scheme plays because we're, we're, we're cover up blockers, meaning we, we can, we can get up and pull around and, and just put a body on a body with a defender and let the running back kind of navigate off that. I don't think we're as big and as physical and as strong in the zone schemes where we're actually removing defenders with brute force, you know, where we're actually pushing guys out of the way to create holes. So I think we're better when we cover up, you know, the defensive line and and give the, the running backs space to navigate and use his athletic ability. What's a counter? What would be a counter play? If pa- counter- power is when you bring up, a uh, pulling power guard. power is when the, when the guard pulls around counter is either when the guard tackle on one side pulls around or it's the, the guard and the tight end pull around. So it's, okay. it's, it's kind of creating an illusion where you think they're going one way and then you got two guys pulling around to the other side of the formation. So it's, it's, it's a misdirection play in a sense. So the run, the running back goes the opposite way of the, of the pulling. No, the running, he's going with the pullers. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Makes more sense. All right, the next thing we're going to talk about here, I want to go get to tight ends. But first, before, that do, before we do that, we're going to talk about Blue Shark Vodka, the smoothest vodka in the world, made from Carolina sweet heirloom corn out of Wrightsville, North Carolina. I want to shout out Connor Barth and the people over at Blue Shark Vodka. Appreciate them for their support. You're tailgating, getting ready for um, a trip, a party, a guy's trip. Blue Shark Vodka, available in all 100 counties. Uh Couple cities in um, in South Carolina, San Diego, Miami. It's spreading across the country. Blue Shark Vodka, vodka the smooth vodka in the world. Bloody Marys. You know, as we get into more of the fall football tailgating city, tailgating uh, times. Blue Shark Vodka, the smoothest vodka in the world. Check them out. Shout us out. Tell them inside Carolina sent you. We appreciate Blue Shark Vodka for sponsoring Calling the Shots, featuring Jeff Schottmer. All right, tight ends, Jeff. Um, man, I thought they're spectacular. I think they're a huge weapon. Uh, you've got three guys. They all made big plays against Virginia Tech. Um, let's see here as we look at the receiving stats. Bryson Nesbitt, four catches, 98 yards, and a touchdown in the second half, along of 35. Kamari Morales had the first touchdown, three catches, 29 yards, um, including that 25-yard long. Then John Copenhagen had two catches, 35 yards, and a long of 29. You know, they're making big plays. They're going across the middle. They're big targets. Um, they help out in the run game, and they're scoring as well. So 
I know you've talked about before. I don't know if you saw anything different from how Phil Longo uses them. It's just it's cool to see them become a major part of the offense after you know three years where you know it was what uh, Garrett Walston was, was was the main guy and Kamari Morales last year. They haven't been used very much, so it's a cool wrinkle uh, in Longo's offense and the fact that he has talented guys and he's used them. It's great to see. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to John Lilly. You know, I worked with him for two years and I think he's the best coach on the staff. Just consistency, his teaching ability, his player development. He's awesome. Awesome guy. And he's done a hell of a job with that room. Um, look, when you have over 150 yards and two touchdowns of production from, from three different players at tight ends, especially in a Phil Longo offense, that is, it's pretty remarkable. Um, and I want to, I want to give coach Longo, credit because he's he's adapting his offense to his personnel you know we're using more 12 personnel like and we talked about this in prior episodes we're using 13 personnel we're using 11 personnel and we're also using 11 personnel with Bryson Nesbitt who's who's a hybrid tight end receiver you know we'll flex him out and, and we'll be in 11 personnel and and he's he's a big receiver you know and his ability to play in the slot and, and run routes over the ball, a huge target for Drake. I mean, it's it's a weapon. And, uh, you know, our tight ends are scoring in the red zone. You know, I think we have seven or eight touchdowns this year from tight ends alone. And most of them are, you know, inside the 40-yard, inside the 40-yard line. And most of them are in the 20 in. Yeah, go back and look at the, the game. And, and Bryson Nesbitt across the middle, I mean, it's a complete mismatch. I mean, he's big. He's 6'5", 6'6" you know, 230, whatever, but it's just a massive target across the middle going against a, a nickelback or a small linebacker or a slower linebacker, and it's an easy, easy throw for Drake, and it's working well for the Tar Heels. Um, yeah, John Lilly, I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, you don't hear about him much. He's very kind of behind the scenes. He's not on Twitter, not on Instagram. You know, we get to talk to him maybe once a year. I'm sure a lot of fans don't even really know who he is at all. He's, I think he's in the booth. Uh, with Longo. So you got Longo and Lily up there. So you don't see him on the sidelines. So John Lilly was brought in after um, my guy, uh, Tim Brewster. Yeah. Yeah. We love Tim (laughs) Brewster here. Yeah. (laughs) I'm good friends with his uh, son. Um, But uh, he's been a great hire and, you know, he's a kind of a football lifer. So John Lilly, shout out to him as well. All right. That's the tight ends there Um, on defense. Is there anything else you want to talk about on defense? I want to talk about the dime package. Just get your thoughts on that, and we can kind of evolve from there. Um, you know, they bring it's very clear when it's third and long, fourth and long, they bring in this dime package, and it's a mixture of you know Jacoby Cowan, the Ohio State transfer, who we have we don't see that much. Um, they they keep Noah Taylor or Chris Collins on the field. They bump Cayman Rucker, who's kind of that outside defensive end. They bump him inside as an undersized kind of rush defensive tackle, and they bring in. Um, I'm missing someone they bring in on the edge there. Oh, Malachi Hamrick, a a really undersized Jack, true freshman. They take out Power Eccles. They bring in Will Hardy, who's a true freshman, you know, 6'2", kind of nickelback safety. Um, And they keep in, I think, Storm and and Tony Grimes. And then they they, they keep on both safeties. What's the dime package? Like, when it comes in, like, what's the purpose of it? Why is UNC using that personnel and go from there? So there's, there's really two or three reasons why they're using it. And this is in no specific order of why they're doing it. Number one, it's to get banked reps for, for younger players. 
So Will Hardy comes in the game, you know, say he, he plays five to five to eight snaps in the dime package year. And then you multiply that by, by a 12 to 14 game season. And, and that's a decent chunk of plays that will have for experience for years, for years to come. Um, same thing with Malachi Hamrick uh, and then Cowan. You're, you're getting these young guys on the field and you're not having the whole, the whole defensive package, you know, on display for them. They have to memorize two or three calls and they can execute them very well and very fast. So that, that's the first thing is we're getting young guys on the field and, and putting them in position to succeed. Um, the second thing is, you know, when it's third and third and longer, most of the offenses are, are throwing the ball and they usually have speed personnel in the game. So we're matching personnel. You know, our linebackers are very good players and they can cover, but secondary, that's what they're, that's what they're paid to do is to cover. And I can say paid to do now because it's legal, I guess. Um, so, you know, you bring in an extra DB and, he, and he's, he's able to, to use his strengths and cover the, you know, the, the offense. And then the, and the other thing, if you look at the D line, Malachi Hamrick, he hasn't developed enough in the weight room yet, but he's, he's a great pass rusher. He's got some raw ability that he can just, you know, use his speed and his, his flexibility to, to, to win at the pass rush. Um, so, you know, that's the first thing is you're, you're allowing young guys to play and you're putting them in position to succeed. So um, and, and if you look across the country, you know, everyone's doing it because, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're playing multiple guys, you're putting guys in position to succeed, and, and it's just good for the team morale when more guys are playing. Yeah, I guess what, what I would push back on is you're playing Jacoby Cowan and Malachi Hamrick you're like, why are you not playing your your best guys on those on those passing downs? Like, why not play a Miles Murphy, Javari Ritzy, and then I mean, and obviously Noah Taylor and Chris Collins. Like, why if they're coming in on like a really important down, like third and ten, or you know, you know, fourth and ten? Like, why why are you not playing your best guys that aren't getting all those reps? I think the coaches think that these are the guys that can succeed. In, the, in this scenario. And I think the other thing is we hear all the time about, you know, a, a young player that doesn't get any reps and every, all the fans are complaining, well, why isn't he getting reps? Well, this is their time to get reps. And this is the time for some of the older guys, Noah Taylor, Miles Murphy, who play, you know, 70% of the game to, to take a playoff. You know, if it's, if it's third and nine, third and 11, and they just played a, you know, eight play series, then, you know, let them rest this play. And, and we have enough faith in our young guys to get us off the field, um, especially when it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not a crucial third and four. I think that's different. I think third and nine, third and 11, when we're, you know, able to play some more, you know, zone coverage, you know, that, that's the majority of the time when we're playing, when we're bringing in that, that dime packages, Will Hardy, he's, he's not really matching anyone man to man. He has, he has before, but, Majority of the time, it's like a spot drop zone. We're, we're taking away all the deep routes and making the offense throw the underneath check down, and we're rallying up to the ball and tackling it, and then we get off the field because it's fourth and four. Yeah. And I, it makes sense to bring in, you know, pass rushing specialists who are fresh. And you bring a fresh guy like Malachi Hamrick and Cowan in who haven't played much, you know, especially third, fourth quarter. There's still only a couple snaps in. They can you know, give 100% full effort. And look, Will Hardy, I mean, he had a, a nice, good square-up tackle, I believe, on one of those um, dime package plays, which was good to see. So uh, the, the rep thing I didn't really think about. It makes tons of sense. You know, you're kind of almost like stealing reps for these young guys. 
So maybe Absolutely. when time comes, um, eighth, ninth, ten game of the season, you know, they can kind of be there as, as a pure backup and come in for an injured player, and then next year they're, they're good to go for more of a, a starting role. Okay, players of the game. Jeff, as we kind of wrap up here, calling the shots, Blue Shark Vodka here on a you know, kind of a 60-degree as fall weather comes into Chapel Hill. It's kind of nice. Kind of The vibes are, are kind of chill here after a, a win by the Tar Heels. Um, okay. Players of the game, Jeff, on on uh, on offense for you. Um, you know, I could give it to Drake every game, but I'm going to go ahead and give it to Josh Downs. Uh, welcome back, Josh. I know he played versus Notre Dame, but I think he's finally, you know, reaching that close to 100% mark. Uh, his his catch on fourth and seven, the yeah. second drive of the game, that was a momentum changer in the game. You know, instead of us turning the ball over on downs, you know, right around midfield, we go ahead and, and Josh makes a huge play, and then we go down and score. You know, he has over 100 yards, Josh Downs, best receiver in the, in the ACC. And you're saying second play of the game. You mean second play, of the, second play of the second half? No, I'm talking about the second the second drive of the game. Okay. When, when we had a four – it was fourth and seven around midfield, and, and we, yeah. throw, we throw it at Josh Downs. He comes up and he catches one on their sideline, and we go down and score. Yeah. If, yeah. if my memory is correct, I don't know. I could have. Yeah, I, I didn't – I'm not sure if that was the second. It might have been second drive, but yeah, I know exactly the player you're talking about. I mean, yeah. uh, Drake just kind of threw it up. You know, he was under pressure, kind of threw it up, and, and Josh just made the athletic play there. Eight yeah. catches, 120 yards. Yeah, kind of your classic Josh Downs um, box score there with uh, without a touchdown, though. I want to mention this. You know, Antoine Green's back. Your thoughts on kind of what he brings to the offense? I think he's just another weapon. We saw against Notre Dame, complete deep threat, but he's very much um, incorporated now into the passing game. Yeah, he's he's a bigger body that can run, and he, and he's uh, he's developed over the years. He's finally gotten his strength up, and look, you can't teach size and speed, you know, especially with bigger cornerbacks. He, he's a, he's not a he's not a mismatch per se, but he is he's a threat because of his speed and his size, and and you can never replicate that. So you know, he, he's he's done a great job for us. Yeah, scores a touchdown, four catches, 59 yards, almost had another one on a diving play. I mean, he is a legit deep threat. Good to see him back. And what a recovery. You know, he came in right around the six, seven-week mark. Um, so so good genes there to get back from the whatever the injury <laughs> was there. Um, and then I'm going to go my – and, you know, we got to talk about Drake May. I'll go my player of the game, Drake May. Stats here, 26 for 36, 363 yards, three touchdowns through the air and a quarterback rating of 184.4 on the ground. We've already talked about it. 13 rushing yards, 13 rushing attempts, 73 rushing yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, man, he is doing it all. He looks special. I mean, his stats right now are, are Heisman-level stats. Uh, I think, of course, he has to be on a really, really good team. We'll see what happens there. But you look, if UNC can go 5-1, and 6-1, and, and and Drake – He's putting up these stats. I mean, he'll be in the conversation for one of the best quarterbacks um, in, in the nation in terms of stats. Your thoughts on what you saw from him against Virginia Tech and just obviously the praise you're going to give him for, for what he's been so far for the Tar Heels. Yeah, I mean, I've, yeah, I've complimented the hell out of him um, in every every prior episode. I, th I think he did look a little, not shaky to begin the game, but um, he wasn't, you know, on point exactly. And maybe that was a little bit to do with the weather, you know, getting used to the ball. Um, you know, he, he wasn't wasn't great on his first couple throws, but 
the thing that always helps Drake is his ability to navigate the pocket, scramble, and pick up yards with his legs. I think he had two rushing t- or two rushing first downs in the first drive, so that kind of gets his his momentum going. You know, whether he's not he missed maybe his first three or four throws, but he's able to pick up first downs with his legs, and then now the ball starts rolling. And obviously, you, you know, you see what day he finishes up with over three hundred yards, three plus touchdowns. So, what'd you think about the uh, the leaping the leaping jump and then getting hit and being down for a couple minutes? <sighs> Look, he's a competitor, and, and you'll hear him say it in his interviews and, you know, him competing with his brothers growing up. And he, he was essentially playing backyard football against Luke right there. But, you know, we, we do have to teach him how to slide. That was one of Sam's issues is he was taking shots. And we just – we want to prolong Drake's career. He's going to play for a long time. We just need to teach him to slide because he's our best player and we got to protect him. Yeah, that's a situation where just just get out of bounds, live to play another day. I mean, he wanted to score. He said, I wanted to score. I didn't think I was going to score, but he still jumped. Uh, I think he jumped over Dax Holyfield and got nailed in the stomach by uh, the defensive back for the Hokies. It's kind of scary there. He was down, but he got yeah. – camera was like right on him. So you saw all his facial um, expressions <laughs> there. But I think the wind was just knocked out of him. Uh, there, I Drake May another big game as the as the stats coop rolling in. All right, Jeff, your defensive player of the game. Yeah, I'm going to go Cedric Gray. Uh, I think that interception was a huge turning point in the game as well. Um, he gets an interception. We score the next play. I think to go up 21 to three. Uh, you know, he's leading the ACC in interceptions and tackles. So I can't say enough good things about Ced. Yeah, he's a big body out there. When he dropped, it's kind of a very similar play against Appalachian State. You know, he, he kind of went in for the play-action pass and dropped and backed up, kind of confused the quarterback, was able to grab the pass. He's got good hands. I think he played wide receiver yeah. uh, in high school, and that shows. Um, and then when he gets running, you know, he, he's become a leader. So, you know, he wasn't a big recruit. And I'm just very impressed with how he's developed um, physically and, and as a defender, and he's been spectacular for UNC so far. Um, I was kind of looking through the numbers here. I'm going to give mine to Cayman Rucker. You know, didn't come up in the in the in the stat sheet here. I don't think he registered a tackle. If I am looking at this right, but it seems like Rucker's. You know, he puts pressure on the opposing quarterback, and he was there on that on the interception. He was putting pressure on Grant Wells. It seems like he always gets good push. Um, he's become a leader for UNC. So Cayman Rucker, I don't think he gets um, as many flowers as the kids say. But, uh, you know, he's undersized. But, man, he is – he's tough. He's one of, our, one of UNC's best pass rushers. So, Cayman Rucker is my player of the game on the defensive side of the ball. All right, Jeff, we're going to wrap up here with a little closing segment here. Um, kind of stay of the season. UNC's now 4-1. Look, they're two wins away from bowl eligibility. Uh, they got their first ACC win over a pretty bad Virginia Tech team. So, I'm not sure how much we can really put into that win – I don't think it's a game where you're hugely celebrating because I think Virginia Tech's going to end up being very, very bad. And I don't think the defense, even if it's a confidence builder, I don't think the defense can step away thinking, you know, as a fan, thinking, you know, the defense is 100% fixed. But ahead on the schedule is Miami uh, in Florida on Saturday and then Duke back in North Carolina it's at Durham. So two away games back-to-back, even though Duke, you know, is a, is a 15-minute bus ride and it'll be packed with Carolina fans. Then the bye week. And then Pitt, you're kind of state of the season right now for UNC sitting at four and one. The first thing I kind of want to disagree with you on, you know, we aren't going to celebrate this Virginia Tech win as much. 
shit, we're going to, we're going to, we celebrate every win in college football. You know, it's, you see FBS teams losing to FCS teams or group of five schools. Look, this is an ACC coastal opponent. We're one and in the ACC. We're going to celebrate the hell out of this win. Um, My so, more point is like, I don't think the defense is, is, you don't know if the defense is fixed yet. Like I'm not, I'm not running agree. around saying, I'm not running around saying, man, the defense is awesome now. That, that part I'm not moving on. But yeah, I mean, wins are hard to come by. You, you take Yeah. It. So we'll, we'll take that. But the state of the season, I mean, this is what I predicted going into the season. You know, we're, we're going to be four and one going to Miami on the road. Um, as much as UNC fans, you know, wanted to beat Notre Dame, we, we didn't get it done. But all of our goals are still ahead of us. Our goals going into the season, obviously, were to, you know, win the Coastal, win the ACC championship, and then compete at a, at a big-time bowl game. So all, all that is still in front of us. Um, and, and, and previewing Miami a little bit, you know, I don't think anyone in the country expected them to be 2-2 two and two going into this game. You know, maybe 3-1 and one at worst, losing to Texas A&M, but 2-2 two and two, losing to a Middle Tennessee State, Middle Tennessee team at home. I mean, that's pretty shocking in my opinion. And, and they're coming off a bye week. You know, I, I know their head coach is he's, – he's a tough ass, so he's going to be on them all the, you know, the last two weeks, especially after that loss. Um, I predicted before the season that we were going to lose to Miami because I guess I fall in, in the media now where, you know, Miami gets the, all the preseason hype, but then when the season comes around, they, they don't actually live up to the standard. Um, but I'm going to take back what I said preseason and I'm going to get off the Miami hype train. And I think this is a game that UNC will go down and, and beat Miami in Coral Gables or not Coral Gables, Palm Gardens or whatever it is. I think it's, yeah, Miami Gardens. So, yeah, a couple of interesting dynamics here. Obviously, Miami has the bye week. So they've had two weeks to, to get reset after the Middle Tennessee loss and then kind of move on quickly and, and have more time to prepare for UNC sit back, relax, watch UNC beat Virginia Tech. They benched Tyler Van Dyke in the middle of Tennessee State game, but I just did a little little internet research. It seems like he's still the quarterback there. It must have been just kind of a situation where they were losing. It didn't look pretty. Let's take him out. So yeah. Tyler Van Dyke, who got so much hype in the preseason, they're sticking with him. I think that's an interesting storyline to kind of watch because he hasn't been good yet. I mean, I watched a little bit of Miami game. I'm not sure which one it was, but they're – the wide receivers are not good. There are tons mm -hmm. of drops. So there's just like – it always seems like it's a mess down there. Um, they have this great recruiting base, but they've struggled um, in the last, you know, eight or eight or ten seasons. And, and Mac Brown has had Miami's number. I don't think he's lost to the Hurricanes no. since he's been back. I mean, that big game in 2019. 3-0 versus the Canes. Yeah, the big game in 2019 with the Daz Newsome catch in the end zone. Yeah. 2020, then, Mike and Javante ran wild. And then yep. last year, Cedric Gray has an interception as Miami's driving to close the game. So, Yeah, and I, obviously, I think that 2020 game, that was kind of peak. I was like, all right, here we go. This team is rocking yeah. and rolling. That was, a, that was an awesome game down. I think UNC put up 60 points or something. So, um, huge game. Uh, a great chance for a road win. I think it sets up nicely for UNC. And it'll be exciting to watch UNC take on Miami. But, but looking forward, like – Anything else about where they stand right now? I mean, UNC seems like they're in a pretty good space if UNC's defense can keep improving. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to revert to my, my coach speak right now, and we, we got to handle Miami in front of us. But, um, you know, looking forward, Duke, obviously, they're, they're more talented than people gave them credit preseason. You know, they're kind of using the Duke culture, and, and 
They, they found a decent quarterback. You know, when Duke is successful, they have a good quarterback. You know, uh, the Boone kid in the early, you know, mid, mid to 2010s, yeah. and then they go to Daniel Jones. Like, I think that's the only way Duke can be successful when they find a decent quarterback. And they're playing pretty good defense with Elko, you know, at the helm. But uh, I, ha- I honestly haven't watched them enough. I've just seen box scores, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the key thing about Miami, their their best receiver, the little slot, is out again versus us. Um, you know, I, this is a game. I think we're underdogs coming into the game, but um, I, I think I think we should get it done. We we like you said, we play well versus Miami. Um, I think we match up well. I think you know we can uh, we can create some havoc down in Miami. What is this Duke football culture you speak of? They're very smart. They put they they yeah. you know they play penalty free football they 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 do what they do well and yeah I, I guess that's a Duke football culture. Yeah. I mean, I'm very surprised. Did he play there? Yeah, that's right. Unfortunately, uh, I'm very surprised. At, I mean, they're they're pretty decent. I mean, they beat Virginia easily. Uh, so Duke is kind of an interesting storyline in the ACC Coastal under Mike Elko. I mean, it could be UNC could be five and one. Uh, in Durham, and so could Duke. I think Duke plays Georgia Tech this weekend as well. Georgia Tech coming off a big win off of uh, off of Pitt. All right, Jeff, let's get out of here. Anything else you want to talk about? You good? That's all I got. I, I got one thing for you. Mitch Trubisky, your, your boy, uh, yeah. got, I guess, benched is, is one way to say it um, for uh, – his name escapes me. Uh, the Pitt QB. Kenny, Kenny Pickett. Yeah, Kenny Pickett. Your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously you have a very different – and unique perspective on the situation there in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, I think, you know, anytime you draft a quarterback in the first round, you know, that, that quarterback is expected to play at some point throughout the year. And uh, I think winning cures all in football. And, you know, Pittsburgh was one and two going into that game. And, um, you know, they were down 10 to six at halftime. I didn't see any of the game. I don't know how Mitch looked, but I will tell you this. Um, Mitch is not the sole reason why they weren't successful, you know, but boil down to it. He's the, he's the quarterback. So they tend to get the majority of the blame and the most popular person in an NFL franchise from the fan base's perspective is the backup quarterback, because, you know, if the starting quarterback is quote unquote struggling or the team isn't winning, they always think the guy behind them is going to do a better job. So, you know, Kenny Pickett comes in and throws three interceptions. I get it. One was, you know, the last second Hail Mary. But in my opinion, he's not an upgrade over Mitch. Mitch has been in the league for five years. He has a winning record. Mike Tomlin is a Hall of Fame coach. And for the first four weeks, if he didn't think that Pickett was better, you know, he wouldn't put his job on the line to play, you know, a crowd favorite. So, you know, I feel for Mitch. He knows it's part of the, you know, the industry and, what comes with being a starting quarterback in the NFL, he's going to get, he's going to get, you know, critiqued when they lose, but, you know, Mitch is a damn good player and, you know, I hate it for him, but um, we'll, we'll see what they do going forward. Yeah. Steelers fall 24 to 20 versus the Jets. Yeah. I and mean, pick it through, you know, two interceptions in the last one. And he had two rushing touchdowns, but, but not much through the air there. I'll be interested to see what happens there. And one thing I, I think you'll agree with me, I mean, Mitch will be a good teammate, and a, a great person in that locker room, regardless of what happens uh, moving forward. 
Yeah, right, man. He, he he didn't get voted captain of the team for for not being a you know great teammate, great leader. So I think that says a lot about him. You know, he was he got signed in March and was a captain, voted a captain in August. So look, he's a stud. Love you, Mitch. There you go. Calling the shots, presented by Blue Shark Vodka. UNC defeats uh, Virginia Tech 41-10. They look ahead to Miami on Saturday, 4 p.m. in Miami Gardens on ESPN2. Jeff, appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you all next time. Peace. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.